Want to improve your social life and have more fulfilling connections with others? In today's episode, I'm discussing the role that social media plays in shaping a healthy social life. In particular, I'm going to be talking about the shortcomings of social media in building genuine connections. But don't worry, it's not all going to be negativity. If social media is a necessary tool for your relationships, I've got you covered with some tips on how to use it in a way that is conducive to living a balanced life. Just like last week, this episode is broken up into three parts. The what, the why, and the how. Let's kick things off with the what. Social media in its natural state isn't the ideal platform for building strong social connections. It's designed to keep you glued to your screen, constantly scrolling and clicking, all while collecting and selling your data. Mark Zuckerberg is always going on about how dedicated Facebook is to social connection. But are they? Or are they committed to keeping you connected to the platform? Despite what social media execs claim, it's not primarily about genuine human connection. It's about keeping you engaged with the content. Now, let's delve into the why. Human beings are wired for rich social experiences. We thrive on those intricate face-to-face encounters where we interpret subtle facial expressions, read between the lines of body language, and tune into the nuances of vocal tones. Scientists found that when we have nothing to do or preoccupy our minds, our brains naturally turn to our social lives. They found that this occurs in infants who haven't even learned to focus their eyes yet. This shows that it's instinctual, not a learned behavior, for us to think about our social lives. Even before we grasp the concepts of friendship or family, our brains gravitate toward thoughts of close bonds with others. But here's the catch. Social media, with its quick likes and shallow comments, often replaces the profound connections we crave. It's not that hitting the like button or leaving a comment is inherently bad, it's just that these convenient forms of communication tend to sideline the richer, more traditional forms of interaction. Convenience is the name of the game, and hitting a button is a lot easier than making a phone call or scheduling an in-person meetup. Yet it's the latter that fills us up quenches our thirst for genuine connection. But before we start beating ourselves up for taking the easy way out, let's remember that it's another clever evolutionary trick at play. Humans are hardwired to conserve energy and choose the path of least resistance. Our ancestors back in the day, roughly 11,000 years ago in hunter-gatherer societies, had to save every ounce of energy in order to survive. So don't blame yourself for seeking the easy way out. It's encoded in your DNA. However, we humans also possess the remarkable ability to use our memories and reason to reflect on our actions. We can discern that the easiest route doesn't necessarily lead to the best results. Interacting on social media instead of nurturing face-to-face connections is one example. It's not just that we enjoy in-person interactions more. It's also that some things like sarcasm don't translate well through text messages or DMs. I've learned this one through personal experience. Misunderstandings become commonplace, and over time we may forget how to navigate healthy relationships effectively. I mean, look at things like ghosting. Ghosting is now a pretty common phenomenon, which wouldn't be possible without our current technology. So while technology has benefited us in many ways, I think in some ways it may have handicapped us emotionally because now instead of dealing with our problems head on, we can just hide behind our phones or computer screens. If we spend an hour a day on social media apps, that's seven hours a week that could have been invested in tangible human interactions that fulfill us. 
Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we've already connected with someone because we've liked their photos or exchanged DMs, but this lingering sense of unease remains and we can't quite put our finger on why. Social media also has a knack for making us feel inadequate, triggering feelings of insecurity and fueling comparisons between our real lives and the carefully curated highlight reels of the lives of others. Not to mention the way the algorithms tend to guide people towards negative content that makes them feel awful about themselves. For instance, there have been many, many cases of teen girls searching for fitness content and having the algorithms of YouTube and Instagram lead them towards pro-eating disorder content instead. But that's a whole other topic of its own that really deserves its own episode. I'll cover that in the future. Of course, there are exceptions. Social media can facilitate great relationships, especially when geographical constraints keep us apart from kindred spirits or loved ones who are abroad. However, it's important to be careful here. It's easy for social media platforms to take over and turn the tables on us. These platforms are extremely adept at making us the product rather than the other way around. They excel at manipulating the human brain. There's this common misconception that when we get on a platform, it's a fair fight. Us versus the algorithm. But that is simply not true. The human brain can't compete with a supercomputer. These computers have beaten chess champions at their own game. How can we expect to beat them when it comes to our own psychological weaknesses? That is why it is crucial to be mindful about where you place your attention in the first place and to adopt strategies to keep that manipulation in check as much as possible. Don't worry, we'll delve into one of these strategies in the how portion of today's episode in just a moment. But there's another reason why spending excessive time on social media is not conducive to meaningful social connections. The content. Social media simply is not a neutral platform. Social media is a breeding ground for divisive content and negativity. Why? Because negativity, fear, and anxiety are the siren songs that draw the most attention and captivate the human mind. In a historical context, think back to the birth of the attention economy, a concept explored in Tim Wu's book, The Attention Merchants. Now, if you saw last week's episode, I apologize because this will be a bit repetitive, but just bear with me for a sec. So in his book, he talks about how Benjamin Day of the New York Sun uh, in 1833 was the first man to publish a newspaper that embraced this business model, the attention economy which relied on advertisements rather than individual sales for its revenue. Day quickly realized that shocking stories about violent crimes and salacious gossip sold more papers and attracted more advertisers. This trend set the stage for today's media landscape. It's not that humanity is inherently drawn to evil or malice. It's yet another evolutionary adaptation. Our brains are wired to prioritize the recall of dangerous and frightening things to keep us safe. I mean, think about it. It's probably more important if you're a hunter or gatherer to remember the scary lion or bear rather than the pretty flower, right? Social media platforms with media right there in their names followed suit. They thrive on content that garners the most eyeballs. They're all in a ferocious competition to hook you, to keep you scrolling, clicking, and watching. As this competition intensifies, 
content becomes increasingly polarized and divisive. The more time you spend on these platforms, the more negativity and hate you're inevitably exposed to. It's a relentless cycle. This kind of exposure might lead you to believe that the world is more divided than it truly is. To emphasize this point, consider the recent congressional hearing titled Disinformation Nation, where social media executives were hauled in for questioning about their roles in promoting extremism and disinformation. For a deeper dive into that topic, check out the show notes. Now, let's be clear. I'm not anti-technology. I'm a web developer, for goodness sake. I'm not advocating for a digital exodus. Instead, I'm simply shining a light on the dark side of apps fueled by the attention economy. They come with a slew of harmful side effects, including the erosion of connections and the amplification of negativity and polarization. There are more adverse side effects to explore, but I'll save those for future episodes. With the what and the why taken care of, it's time to move on to the how. In this episode, I'm offering two practical exercises to help you navigate the digital landscapes as well as your social lives more effectively. The first exercise I like to call social shortcuts. It's super simple. So you can grab a sheet of paper if you'd like and list your preferred methods of interacting on a social media platform. For instance, if we're talking about Facebook, you may use the groups page the most. Now, instead of using your mobile app or the main platform website, you want to use your web browser and bookmark whatever feature you just listed. So for our example, we would bookmark the Facebook groups. The key here is to avoid getting lost in the general abyss of the newsfeed. So we're using the bookmarks of our web browser to get to the interactions that matter the most. This way you save not only time, but also emotional energy. For instance, I mostly use Facebook events and Facebook groups. But here's the thing, if I just get on Facebook through the mobile app or just the main website, my time will be sucked up on the newsfeed because I will either be outraged by something my second cousin twice removed said that I find ignorant, or I'll be devastated by something terrible happening that honestly I have no power over. Or I'll compare myself to someone else in my life that seems to be doing better than I am and feel like crap about myself. None of these are great options. And while I'm not advocating for being completely ignorant of what's going on in the world, me being devastated and doom scrolling for hours isn't actually doing any good except for making me miserable. Make sense? This strategy actually does connect me socially rather than lead me down a road of comparison and like buttons that get me nowhere but feeling insecure and angry. Try it out this week and let me know what you think in the comments. Moving on to exercise number two called Give Fast. This exercise is not my own, but is from a therapeutic modality called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, or DBT for short. It is a strategy for interpersonal effectiveness. So Give Fast is an acronym. The Give part of the acronym is all about how to interact with the other person successfully, whereas the Fast part is all about how to feel good about yourself after the interaction's over. So let's go through each letter of Give. The G stands for gentle, as in being gentle with whomever you are talking to. That means no verbal or physical attacks, no threats, no judging. If you disagree with someone, there's a way to express that without attacking who they are as a person. The I stands for interested, as in act interested, even if you may not be. 
Listen and appear interested in what they are saying. Listen to their point of view and really take in what they are saying. Just the act of listening, even if you weren't interested in the first place, can pique your natural curiosity and cause you to be interested. Face the person and maintain eye contact. Lean toward the person rather than away. Don't interrupt or talk over the person. Also, be sensitive to someone's wish to have a discussion at a later time if things get heated. Be patient. Next, V stands for validate. You can validate with words and actions. Show that you understand the other person's feelings and thoughts about a situation. Try to see the world from the other person's point of view and then say and act on what you see. You can say things like, I realize that this is hard for you and or I can see that you're busy and dot dot dot. Finally, E stands for easy manner. A little humor goes a long way. Smile. Be lighthearted when appropriate in the conversation. Basically, be warm and friendly. In our society, we aren't typically trained to be vulnerable. So using these little things to kind of coax them into feeling comfortable can go a long way. The next word, fast, as I said before, involves maintaining your self-respect during interactions with others. Let's go through it one by one. F stands for fair. Be fair to both yourself and the other person. Think about how you want to feel about yourself after the interaction is over. A stands for apologies, as in don't make too many of them. Don't apologize more than once for what you have done ineffectively, or apologize for having an opinion or for disagreeing. Basically, don't apologize for being human or alive. <laughs> I'm super guilty of this one, um, but it's something I'm definitely working on. S is for stick to your values. Stay true to what you believe in and stand by who you know you are. Don't allow others to get you to do things against your values. I remember as an eight-year-old, I was so comfortable with being myself, no matter how different that was from the rest. During recess, I would read books instead of playing with other kids. I remember one time two boys danced around me teasing me, but I wore it as a badge of honor. But something changed during adolescence. I started to care what others thought about me. And I started to care a lot. I say all this to say that when I say stick to your values, for me, it's helpful to bring out that eight-year-old version of myself that read during recess, despite being taunted. Because she's still in there. So stick to your values and don't sway with the winds of what others want you to do. Or even worse, what you believe others want you to do. Okay, this last one is T. T stands for truthful. Don't lie and manipulate others to get them to do what you want them to do. Don't act helpless when you are not. Don't exaggerate or make excuses. This is another one where it is helpful to consider how you want to feel about yourself when the interaction is over. Sometimes it seems like it would be so easy to tell a little white lie in order to get your way, but the emotional baggage it creates is simply not worth it. I've learned this the hard way. The great Stoic philosopher Seneca once said, the greatest portion of peace of mind is doing nothing wrong. Live in alignment with your values and honesty and watch your confidence soar. This week, I want you to practice having interactions with someone using the give fast strategies. I'd love for you to do it with someone in person, but it's not a bad idea for you to also use these strategies while in the digital world. Remember, social media can be a useful tool for connection when used mindfully. Take control of your online interactions and you'll find a healthier balance between the digital world and meaningful relationships in the real one. That wraps up this episode of The Digital Balance. 
Thank you for tuning in and remember to subscribe for more insights into finding the equilibrium in our digital lives. Until next week, stay balanced and thrive in both the digital and real worlds.